Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of your Brains Coach podcast. My name is Angela Sharina. I'm your host. I'm your Brains Coach, and just someone with a lot, a lot of passion, obsession, and energy for sharing with you guys all the brain tools you can use to feel, look, and do your absolute best. And today, guys, you're going to learn about how to speak as your best, how to speak as a leader, how to influence people's minds, change people's minds, and ultimately to produce change in the world that you seek to produce. Guys, today with me on the show, we have Simon Lancaster, one of the world's top speechwriters. Simon first became a speechwriter in the late 90s, working for members of Tony Blair's cabinet. Today, he writes speeches for the CEOs of some biggest companies. And uh, Simon also is an author of the Definitive Guide to Speechwriting, Speechwriting, The Expert Guide, The Award-Winning winning Minds, Secrets from the Language of Leadership, and You Are Not Human, How Words Kill. And his latest book, Connect, How to Inspire, Influence, and Energize Anyone, Anywhere, Anytime, is an absolute delight. I highly recommend this book, guys, as other books as well. He, Simon, is an executive fellow of Hanley Business School and lectures at both Cambridge and Oxford Universities. Simon regularly speaks around the globe, and his Speak Like a Leader TEDx talk has been watched more than 3 million times on YouTube, guys. Today, you're going to be blown away by the amount of practical information, amount of practical tools that you can use to gain speak like a leader, to influence, to inspire, to educate, to produce change. You're going to learn about how to, what is the best way to start your speech, to get your audience attention, to get everyone to connect what you're saying, how metaverse work and why it's such a powerful tool to get people feel like you understand them, how to use metaphors to connect with people faster and deeper, persuade them, make them believe to ultimately take desired action metaphors as a way to understand other people's perspective, beliefs, and worldview to meet people where they are. Five types of metaphors that absolutely everyone understands as long as they're human. Using the metaphors that one cannot relate to is a sure way to lose this person. Using metaphors as an educator, a coach, an influencer to help people understand and learn faster and better. What can help you break through as a leader, as a speaker, especially in the corporate world? Importance of body language and your voice that are more important than what we, what we say. The importance of stories to make your message cut through the noise and sink in people's minds. Personal stories, a shortcut to demonstrate who we are, what our life is all about, and why people should care about our message. If you're a leader want to increase people's productivity, tell personal stories. How stories help us learn and teach and even quit smoking. Stories, the ultimate tool to change behavior, build and break habits, change yourself and people around you. Why stories work, most powerful neurotransmitters, how to tell stories that change people's minds. Three must-have ingredients of a mind-changing story. 
Tools to connect to the logical part of people's brain to make what we say more believable and credible. Why intellectual arguments on their own don't work and why we have to care about how we present our arguments. What Barack Obama learned the hard way. Why breathing is important in public speaking and how to use it to change your state, turn off public speaking jitters and impact your audience minds excite them, calm them down, make them connect to what you say. And at the end of this episode, you're going to learn a six-step structure to create a powerful speech or a piece of content on any subject, anytime, anywhere, to start speaking like a leader. So guys, without further ado, please tune in, please stay tuned, and then learn and use the tools to be a great leader, a great speaker to influence, to impact, to energize, to change people's minds and the world. Welcome to Your Brain's Coach Podcast, Simon. And I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. I'm such a huge fan of your uh, TED Talks and your books and just your work and social media content. Uh, Thank you for coming uh, on the show to share your wisdom and expertise. It's an absolute pleasure. It's great to see you, Angela. I mean, we've been in touch a little on social media over the last few months, so it's great to finally see you face to face. Yes, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's always so great. You know, I'm, I was just thinking to myself today, I feel so fortunate because in our days, we can interview authors, you know, writers like yourself, who we are inspired by, who will learn a lot from and ask all the questions that we have in our heads, you know, still, because as an author, probably, right, um, you can only put so much in your work, like in your book, for example, and there is so much more that you still have in you to share. No, there's there's nothing left. There's absolutely nothing left. In actual <laughs> fact, the, the books, the books are actually, there's more than I know in, in the books. So, <laughs> so it's, what can I do? I'm just going to sit here, actually, and just read to you from the book. That's what I'm proposing. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking. Uh, and yeah, jokes, laughter, you know, uh, as I know from your books, uh, one of the best ways to uh, connect with people, right? And to have an impact and um, to help people, I do not trust and learn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's one of the things that I always love when I'm working with clients. So mm-hmm. I'm a speechwriter. That's what I do. Yeah. That's most of my job. Um, there's no better way to start a speech than a joke. It's just such a great way of relaxing the audience, getting them all on your side. Not always, obviously, not if there's just been um, a tragedy. <laughs> it's not always appropriate. Uh, but in most other circumstances, when you're just looking, you know, you're sharing knowledge or you're trying to inspire people or whatever, starting with a joke is a great one. Simon, you are a speechwriter. Uh, your company bespoke uh, speechwriting services um, in London, I believe, right? Um, that were, yeah. Yes. Kind and- of. Kind of. I, I work globally now. I mean, I'm London born and bred. Um, and I, I still, I've got a flat in London, but I actually live with my family out in the Brecon Beacons. We've got a gorgeous house on top of a mountain. And I travel an awful lot for work, not during the school holidays. Um, I have a rule because I've got two daughters who are age 14, 11. So I'm always with them uh, during the school holidays. But when they're at school, I basically can be anywhere in the world. So uh, literally just looking back over the last month, I've been to Copenhagen three times, three separate times. I've been to the Netherlands once and I've been to New York as well. So 
Um, I mean, this is the wonderful thing about the way that people work today now, though. You can work anywhere in the world as long as you've got your laptop, you're ready to go. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's a beautiful world, uh, what can I say? And uh, I even learned about your work, actually, from the talk that you did in Verona, uh, Italy. Uh, that's a TED Talk, yeah. And uh, after that, I was just fascinated with your work and how you teach um, yeah, speech writing and public speaking, right? Um, and then also wanted to give little listeners a little bit more background. So um, your recent book, Connect, and the subtitle is How to Inspire, Influence, and Energize Anyone, Anywhere, Anytime. And that's where I got introduced to your uh, books, right? And I learned so much from that book. Uh, but then I like, I want to know a little bit more about the science of that, right? Uh, dig uh, deeper and uh, to look under the hood. And that's why I picked up your second, well, the book that that is previous pre- was previously published, Winning Minds, Secrets from the Language of Leadership. And that one I absolutely love because I'm a huge fan of neuroscience. Uh, um, and I wanted to interview you to share with our listeners uh, the, you know, a few most important um, tools, techniques, tips, how to speak to have the impact that we seek to make on our audiences. And then also a little bit more neuroscience, why exactly it works. Yeah, absolutely. that sounds brilliant. I'm happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about, Angela. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, let's start with, I think, one of my favorite things that I'm working on getting bad at, um, metaphors. Yeah. Like, how do they work? Uh, how people can start, I don't know, in an easy way using them? And yeah, how they how do they work? Why should we use metaphors in our speaking? I mean, metaphors are insane. When we use metaphor, we're talking about something as something which it is not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, completely absurd. So, you know, you, you might talk about, I might say to you now, metaphors plant ideas in people's minds. Mm-hmm. Or I might say to you that metaphors are really loaded. Or I might say to you that metaphors can really make your text sparkle. And so in all of those sentences there, I'm using different metaphors to explain to you what a metaphor is. But each one of those, I'm conjuring up a different image, which will then lodge in your mind and will suggest to you certain feelings, emotions, behaviours. So if I say to you it plants ideas in people's minds, then we're using obviously a seed metaphor, a gardening metaphor. Beautiful, lovely, quite natural, um, wonderful. This is the way you cultivate opinion. If I say to you um, metaphors are very loaded, then I think that might suggest a gun. And that might be a bit violent for some people, not necessarily if you're engaged in communication, which is quite combative. So, for instance, when I'm talking to lawyers, (laughs) lawyers love the gun metaphor. People in politics, you know, they'll be like, yeah, you've got no idea. I'm always having to defend myself and I always feel like I'm under attack. So metaphors can really help me. That'd be something. So then I'll really lean into that and be like, well, wow, metaphors, they're like the nuclear weapon of communication, you know, (laughs) it'll obliterate your opponent's argument. And so this is the thing. We use metaphor all the time. We use metaphor once every 16 words on average. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to speak for long without reaching for a metaphor but whilst we often think of metaphors as being something poetic 
their power is actually far greater than that. Their real power comes from persuasion. And so heaps of studies have shown how change in metaphor can lead people to very, very different reactions on all sorts of questions, ranging from whether they'll invest in a company, support policies, even uh, back a foreign war. So they're very powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's, I think what uh, I really understood about metaphorists and uh, while reading your books and, um, you know, watching and listening to your content is that our mind thinks in pictures first, like the language it came later, right? And what metaphor it does, it helps to communicate to that mind that is yeah. much, um, when we influence that mind it's much it has much more powerful effect on our listener right they understand it uh as you said like instantly and what they understand and what they picture it leads them in different directions and i think uh the power comes from understanding that and using that with purpose like how do you want your audience to feel where do you want them to go right um and you know, in I, I remember talking to a friend and we were talking about um relearning writing for social media. And I I use this metaphor for me, uh using this you know format for writing for social media um compared to long form writing, it's like learning to walk. And he immediately, you know, understood it. And he's like, you're so good at that metaphor. <laughs> uh, whereas you know, it, it's it made him feel like I was feeling. So uh, anything else you have to say about metaphors? Like, um, I don't know, any tips or maybe how to start with that easier, you know, because some people are not that natural with using metaphors. Yeah, I think um, if you listen to the way people speak and you look out for the metaphors that they're using, it can give you great insight to their state of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to understand someone's perspective on something. When we speak about people having a point of view or a mm-hmm. perspective, we're using the language of imagery. You know, I, I don't see things that way. This is the way that a lot of the time differences of opinion will manifest through metaphors. And so the key for me to understanding someone's view of the world is listening to their metaphors. Mm -hmm. And if someone's saying to you, like, you know, um, if if you're a boss at work and, you know, one of your team is saying, you know, I feel like you just keep pulling the rug from under my feet, Mm -hmm. then that gives you clear insight to their state of mind. And yeah. you're like, if you're then, if you then respond to them saying, well, we're driving this through, we need to drive this strategy through, then, you know, they're like, oh God, I don't feel steady on my feet. And now you're driving a car at me. This is like the worst thing you can say. Take their, listen to their metaphor and then take their metaphor and say, no, you're on solid ground. You're on solid ground. We're not moving. But what's happening is that around you, there are making these with there are these changes going on, you know, just very basically tuning into what people are saying. So when I'm like pitching to people for work, if they say to me, we want to unlock the talent of our top team, then that gives me a clear idea to the way that they see it, you know. Yeah. So my response to them w- w- should be like, well, the key comes in understanding yeah. ancient rhetoric and neuroscience. And then they're talking about unlocking, I've got the key, boom, boom. You know, we're speaking, we're on the same perspective. Whereas a lot of the time, when you get these big arguments going on, like, is social media a good thing or a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Should we have lockdowns on COVID? Should we not? 
was Brexit a good thing? Was it a bad thing? A lot of the time, the way that people actually conceptualize these things, they visualize those things, they do so through metaphor. And so understanding people's metaphors is key. So for people who were pro the European Union, they saw the European Union as a family. So they're not Mm -hmm. obvious. Who wants to leave their family? You know, Mm -hmm. so it makes no sense to leave. Whereas Brexiteers, they didn't see the EU like that. They saw it like a prison. So, of course, you wanted to be set free. And yet both sides in that debate were not really listening to one another. Because they weren't listening. They weren't understanding their metaphors. If they'd have listened to one another's metaphors, they'd have been able to convince and cajole a little bit more effectively. Whereas as it was, you know, you just ended up with a thick wall between both both sides. Yeah, I think, you know, actually, uh, this made one insight really clear for me. Uh, it's not just about, yeah, communicating your own image. It's also about listening the imagery that um, the, the other side communicates with and then adjusting your language to meet them where they are, right? Yeah. And uh, the imagery. Yeah, that, I think, is very powerful. Otherwise, you'll end up like the other person or your audience will end up feeling like you don't really get them. Or not listening. Oh no! On a really bit, and and it, and it does make such a difference to the way people feel. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I was speaking to someone yesterday who was um, talking about how they've missed their targets. They've mm-hmm. missed their targets, and if you've got the metaphor of targets, and yeah. it's like you know, or goal or whatever, you know, then that language does suggest that anything other than hitting is a failure. It counts for nothing. Whereas if you talk about using journey metaphors about your destination, then that's different. And it leads you to a completely different image, different thought. No, you've made progress. You are moving along. You're going in the right direction. Fine, you've not got there yet, but you're going to get there in a couple of weeks. And it doesn't matter. Whereas target and goal, as we've seen in the World Cup, you know, Harry Kane, you know, it doesn't doesn't make a difference if you're just like a few inches out. You have missed. It's nothing. Or nothing. Whereas thinking about it in terms of progress, much more effective. So it can make it in this way, understanding the metaphor, you can make a difference to how you feel about yourself, how you feel about the world, how other people feel about the world as well. And it makes such a big difference doing no more than changing the metaphor in a piece of text. Massive, you swing people from being massively against thing to massively in favor. No change to the facts, just change the metaphor. Yeah. Just change the metaphor, and then that changes the perspective, right, of the person. Um, and uh, the last point I think about metaphor that I found very useful is uh, using like five kinds of metaphors that most people will relate to, um, like the journey or um, the body, um, weather, nourishment, and then relationships, right? Like you were studying, talking, for example, about football uh, or soccer, you know, for people in different parts of the world. And for me, as not a person not into that at all, I would probably yeah. not get any of those, right? Except for like the basic ones. So I think that's important for people to also understand, like make sure your audience has this context of the metaphor that you're about to use. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I think the the body is the most powerful source of metaphor that you can get to because every single person on the planet has in common the experience of what it means 
to, you know, to have a mouth, to smell beautiful things, to touch things, you know, so all of that, to get the grip, you know, so all of that kind of stuff is, is, is universal. And because most of my clients are global and mm -hmm. the speech I write may well be translated into 30 plus languages for different offices around the world. You, you need to ensure they're going to resonate all over the place. And you're right. A lot of people don't care for football. They don't care, you know, um, yeah, or, or other sports or war metaphors, indeed, war metaphors that some people can love. Yeah. And for other people, they're just like, oh, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, probably a little bit on that side, you know, fight, wars, et cetera. It just doesn't feel right uh, for me. I'm a coach, you know, I'm always like uh, taking people on a journey. So for me, something like war, war and fight, it's it's so just unnatural to, to use with people because it's kind of like anti progress you know that great deal of progress do you and do you do do you do this with your clients do you listen to their metaphors and find stuff out about them from that now more but i wasn't listening to the metaphor specifically before a lot right yeah. i would kind of just try to tune in the feeling more like you know read their body language their uh emotional expressions and their faces but metaphors and uh language tools not so much now i'm getting more and more into that though yeah because yeah you, you, I, I find a lot of the time that you can see um that sometimes if they're not even articulating the metaphor they they, they can they, they'll show it in their body language mm -hmm. and so you can see something there so you're, you're like oh I don't, you know I don't quite know how to put it. And it's like, you can see they've got a fight metaphor just brewing there. And it's not, it's not coming out yet, but you can just read from the clenched fist what's, what's going on there. And um, where, yeah, you know, sometimes you can see people like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just can't, you know, I can't get through this. And they're actually creating a barrier with their hands as they yeah. describe it. And then I, I find it can be quite amusing, actually, just to sit. I will make it a challenge, right? I'm going to get you to break that barrier. Yeah, you can read body language. And in your book, uh, Winning Minds, I think also in the Connect, the kind of, you know, uh, together in my mind, you talk about like, the the style and the posture the body language how it also communicates so much more than people usually uh give uh, you know credit um and if we want to create certain mood or energy or impact our audience in a certain way like we really gotta you know figure out how to use our body on gestures in a way that um that will move people in the direction we want them to go it's so important because I find so many corporates uh, presenters that it's almost like they've been trained by hypnotists. And I don't know what's going on, but it's like they they they'll do the whole hypnosis thing about like just speaking from down here, and their body language will be completely still. And it's almost like they're trying to turn their audience to sleep, send, send their audience to sleep. And I'm like, why are you doing that? You know, if you want to get people going, they'd be talking like this. Have your voice <laughs> up here. You know, where and it, it so evidently works. Whereas the stiff, you know, hands by side low voice it's so obviously switches people off you know yeah. um i th i think it, it's so easy actually for people to break through in commu corporate communication because so much of it is just bloody awful you know <laughs> you only need to you only need to be half decent for people yeah. to say wow that was amazing <laughs> yeah um 
I, I, I can so agree. Yeah, sometimes um, you listen or watch um, corporate speeches or events, etc. And it's like, if I were to be excited about my work, the way you speak, I don't know if I ever had, you know, any work. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, enthusiasm and our postures and gestures, they really influence other people and create certain reactions and then drive action. Um, I think the next point that I want to move towards, because I believe it's just so important, is storytelling and maybe simplifying it for people, right? Um, because what I learned, like through creating a lot of content, communicating uh, to people through different media, is that unless you tell a story, it's almost guaranteed to like fail whatever you're trying to do or make people do, you know, or change their opinion or mind. Like you gotta incorporate stories in your um, communication. Um, so can you... Uh, tell our listeners a little bit more like your your perspective on stories and why they work and how people can start in a simple way to incorporate stories if they're not used to that yeah well i think what one of the things that you get in so many companies is that they will just assert things to you they'll just say like we are courageous we are curious we are collaborative and you'll talk to people about this and you, you get no sense of this whatsoever. Whereas the way that we're really convinced of someone's values, their virtues, their behaviours is is through, well, mainly what we see them do, but also by the kind of stories that they tell. So mm-hmm. rather than simply saying, you know, if I say to you now, like, I'm a kind person, how convincing is that? It's like, it just do- doesn't cut through. Whereas if someone can tell a story, which shows that they believe in the power of kindness. And it might be something that happened when they were a a kid. It might be uh, something that one of their parents said to them. It might be something they saw someone do on the streets that day. It might be someone at work who did something nice. But tell me a story and transport me somewhere. And then it's because the story generates these images in our mind. Mm-hmm. And as we were saying earlier, yeah. we think in images, this is how you really bring the brain to life. Then all of a sudden people are, are engaged and this is how you convince them. So this is what I do with m- my clients quite a lot, where, for instance, if they're the CEO of a company and they have as their values, like, you know, um, kindness, courage, compassion, whatever it is. And then mm-hmm. I, I'll get them like, you know, I'll get them so they're feeling nicely relaxed. And I'll say, just close your eyes and, you know, think back through the course of your life. And I'd like you to think back to the first time in your life when you discovered the importance of kindness. And I'll do this with people and they'll come out with the most incredible stories. And it may be like, you know, one of my clients the other day was, um, telling about her parents and on Christmas day every year her parents used to just drive out in their car the dad would drive out he'd be like almost like a taxi driver on Christmas morning going around and collecting all of the people in their local community who had nowhere else to go on Christmas day and she gave me then a detailed description of everyone who was sitting around her Christmas table almost what they were wearing what they were eating and certainly some of the some of the things that they were trying to overcome like some people there one woman who had mental clearly had mental health problems 
and she was unable to connect with other people. She, so she rarely spoke at these Christmas dinners. And you're just, you know, so you, you're, you're then you're taken somewhere. You are transported somewhere. And, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, now I believe that you believe in the power of kindness. It's not just an assertion. I can see why, why, you know, you, how you tick. Um, mm-hmm. Stories just so powerful and if, the thing for me as a speechwriter i work with clients and it's transactional you know they pay me for my time um and yet when they tell me these stories and when i do these exercises with them they then have me almost in tears by the end of it sometimes <laughs> and i then feel so emotionally connected to them i i almost don't want to charge them i'll just work for them for nothing which is is precisely the point that this is the power of stories that when we understand people's stories we understand where people are coming from we understand their values what motivates them then we will work harder for them and so this is why for me writing for leaders if i can get someone telling stories they can lift the performance and the productivity of their workforce exponentially just by telling one story so people are like then it's not transactional i now have an emotional relationship with you maybe because because you suffered the loss of a parent when you were young and therefore i i I did too and therefore we've now got a deep connection and when ceos tell this a story like this and they can tell it some of the speeches that i write will go out literally to like a couple of hundred thousand people and then they'll have people say to them ages I've got that as well. I didn't realize you suffered from anxiety. You suffered from depression when you were younger or whatever. And they've then got a connection. And this is what this what being a human being is all about, isn't it? It's connecting with other people. Stories are amazing. Yeah. And I think I believe that you can't really influence people unless you connect with them. Right. And and stories help us to connect to each other because, you know, we talk about something that we can relate to all of us, you know, going through different life experiences. Um, it's also, uh, I, I believe for people like yourself or myself who are trying to help other people, um, educate them in some way, deliver knowledge, right? Something that can help um, them in their lives or business. I believe that we absolutely need to use stories as a tool to deliver that knowledge. You know, the other day, like um, I read a lot of books and I finished one book. It was about creativity and it was written all in in stories, right? And examples. And I remember so much more of this book. Like it's so alive in my brain. And then there was another book. It was like concept after concept after concept. And by the, the page 20 or something, I'm like, I cannot read any of that. I do not remember a thing. Yeah. yeah. And it made to me... I'm like, yeah, it really works. Like that's, yeah. And it doesn't matter if the book is longer or it takes, you know, many more pages to explain the concept. The What matters is what I actually take away. Yeah. And and you do so through, through stories and you do so through images. This is how my life w- w- was was transformed during my 20s, actually. Like, you know, with all of the big things, it was um, like when I, I, I was a chain smoker. I smoked 40 cigarettes a day um, and I did patches and I did all sorts of things. And then I read that amazing book, um, Alan Carr's Easy Way to <laughs> Stop Smoking, you know, and it, it has these powerful. It's like 20. 25 years ago, I think, that I read the book. Yeah, I can still remember the image that he had in there. He said, I remember there was one chapter that said, 
you probably started smoking when you were at school and you probably had the picture of James Dean smoking a cigarette <laughs> on your wall. And I was like, how did he know? You know, um, <laughs> I mean, I did, you know, and that was the image. That was the image. If you were a kid smoking, yeah, you were like James Dean. You probably thought it made you look big and strong and all of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he said, now, let me tell you how life ends for smokers. There's someone at the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in London, and literally they've just had one of their legs amputated because of their smoking. And the doctor is saying to them, if you don't stop smoking now, we are going to have to amputate the other leg, like within six months. And because you're so weak now, the cigarettes have made you so weak, you're so craven to them, you can't give up. You know, um, how strong, how strong are you now? And I'm now telling, I'm telling you this 25 years after reading the book, you know, how many weeks is that? How many months is that? How many days is that? And those images are still in my mind. And that's how you change behavior through very simple images, metaphors, stories that then plant deep in our subconscious, deep in our instinctive brains. And this is how you achieve change. And you could do it like with things like giving up smoking or, you know, cheering up, (laughs) getting through anxiety or depression, whatever. But you can do it with getting the best out of people as well at work, which for me, writing for CEOs and writing an inspirational Mm -hmm. speech for CEOs, that's what I want to do. Yeah, um, such a powerful example. And, you know, because you told uh, us personal story, I'll probably remember it for a long time too, Uh, how uh, reading stories change you to change your, you know, health uh, in a big way so um and i'd love to maybe dig a little bit deeper into neuroscience of why stories works because work uh i remember in your book uh that i read you know that we first connect through to the character and our brain releases like oxytocin can you tell us a little bit more about that like how it works because a lot of our listeners are into that kind of stuff yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, th- my perspective on a lot of communication is ancient rhetoric meets mm-hmm. neuroscience. So that is that intersection that I find generates a lot of energy for me. And what I, I mean, Aristotle was the master of storytelling. And he said that there were three elements to a great story. So you had pity, fear, and catharsis. So you have pity, you feel a connection with the protagonist in the story, then fear, the protagonist is up against a problem, and then catharsis, you're waiting for the problem to resolve. Now, Mm -hmm. if you look at the neurochemistry of that, when we experience pity with a protagonist in a story, we feel that sense of connection with them, that gets the oxytocin going, making us feel all warm and fuzzy and huggy as they tell us about their life story. Then Mm -hmm. as you get the fear, they come up against the problem that gets the cortisol going Mm -hmm. so this is like the stress drug but it makes you focus on whatever the dilemma is that they're talking about and then as you wait for catharsis that moment of resolution that's the reward network being activated so the whole dopamine thing is going on so that's like the neurochemistry of a story and i mean it's an interesting way to think about it because you're like so so you're then like okay so a really good story you need to feel really connected with the character 
at the beginning of it. And this explains why some stories are bad, why they don't work as well. You might not like the protagonist. You know, yeah. you might, they, 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 they might just not be relatable to you. You might not see you've got anything in common. You might think they're an asshole, in which mm-hmm. case oxytocin's not going. So you're yeah. not you're not into it. You're not into it. So mm-hmm. you to really create the connection with the character. Then the cortisol, you want to really dramatize. What's the problem there? You know, hype it up, make it as big as possible, make it as in your face, and then you maximize the cortisol. So this yeah. is a way that you can think about it. I, you know, you can think about it like um, my analogy is always like music. And I'm like, if you imagine yourself like a record producer and you're like pushing up the dials, you're like, let's get the oxytocin up, you know, cortisol up, serotonin up and all of this. And, you know, it's quite a fun way of thinking about it. Yes, it's it's a fun way. And uh, also, I, I read a lot of neuroscience and how it changes the brain, how it can help to um, learn or to um, memorize things or to improve on performance, right? And uh, what I found fascinating is that oxytocin, for example, it opens up the window of neuroplasticity. It actually makes the brain more plastic and you learn much faster. Uh, and if you like have really low levels of oxytocin, you're not going to be learning that much, right? So like back to your point of if you don't like the character, you don't connect to that, you kind of like close your brain to whatever is coming next, yeah. right? And, and then you have uh, norepinephrine or cortisol or adrenaline that, yeah, that sharpens that focus to absorb as much as possible of what's, you know, you know, happening and what's communicated. And then dopamine, it's one of the things that wires our learning in, right? If you don't get dopamine, we don't remember much of that stuff. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, that's why I'm like, aha, you know, that's why stories work and how they work. It's so powerful. I, I, I have to use more of them, even though I'm like not at all. Uh, natural storyteller I usually probably like most people I don't know I would just go into facts but then now I realize it's not going to produce any fact if I just do do that do you so. use it with your clients though Angela do you use storytelling with your clients uh now more uh before I used to um sometimes use my personal stories but I felt like you know, um, might be too much talking about myself here, right? Or uh, about unrelated stuff, like we got to get to the facts, we got to get to the tools, etc. But then again, I learned from people like yourself that that I'm not being effective. And then it doesn't matter how many facts I'm going to give to that person. They're not going to remember, they're not going to use any of that, there's going to be no change. So now I'm teaching myself to use more stories. Yeah, good for you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to you again. Like your books were and talks and content were really uh, transformational for me. Uh, so um, thank you. And now I think I want to move. Uh, now I'd like to move to the logical part of the brain, because before we were talking more about instinctive, emotional brain, how to connect that. And these are the connections we need to establish before um, before trying to impact people or help people learn, right, or change their opinions. But um, also, it is important, of course, for people to connect to the message logically, right, to uh, think like, ah, oh, it sounds like true, or it sounds logical, or um, it sounds like a good idea, right? So how, do, how, do, how can people connect to the logical part of the brain, our prefrontal cortex, so uh, people really... Um, uh, 
I don't know, suck up this all this knowledge and put it into practice and uh, have the confidence that, yeah, it or it will work or um, it's a good idea. Well, this is where the ancient Romans were absolute geniuses, Angela, because they had all of these so-called rhetorical devices, ways of structuring sentences in order to make what you were saying sound more believable than it really is. And so the first of these is the rule of three, which the Romans used to call tricolon, which sounds like part of your digestive system, but which simply means making your arguments in threes. So as soon as you understand this technique, you can see that many of the greatest soundbites in history have been constructed this way. So veni, vidi, vici, government of the people, by the people, for the people, friends, Romans, countrymen. And it's an ancient rhetorical device, but a study by, I think it was uh, the University of California in 2013, showed that people are more likely to believe an argument is true if it comes in three parts than in four parts. So it's mm -hmm. a really simple takeaway. Just get your four bullet points to three bullet points. It's instant, instantly going to be more credible, compelling and convincing. Just like that. <laughs> it's really, really easy. Um, so you, you can do it like that. The threes work. One of the other devices that works is, is rhyme. There's also separate research that shows we're more likely to believe something's true if it rhymes than if it does not rhyme. But I mean, thinking about things like no pain, no gain, you know, or you've got to speculate to accumulate. These are things that sound as if they're true, but as soon as you shine a spotlight on it and really analytically think about it, you're you're like, that's bollocks, actually. No pain, no gain. You know, what does that mean? You you can achieve gain sometimes without pain. It's just not true. <laughs> but it sounds convincing because of the because of the rhyme. And one of the other things is like contrasting sentences or balancing sentences because when people are thinking they tend to think through their bodies and you see people doing this so and for you understanding body language you might might see when people are weighing up a decision they might go oh, on the one hand this mm -hmm. on the other hand that so this is a metaphor for decision making basically so sentences that replicate that feel of something something that's been thought through mm -hmm. ask not what your country can do for you Ask what you can do for your country. Mm -hmm. The state is your servant, not your master. You know, this is not about holding you back. It's about helping you move forward. Yeah. Sentences like this are, are brilliant. And a lot of inspirational life wisdom you find comes in these kind of in these balancing mm -hmm statements i mean i love simon sinek i think simon sinek's great fun and i enjoy his books but pretty much everything that he ever says is one of these balancing sentences you know people don't buy what you do they buy why you do it that sounds genius it sounds so profound whereas when you think about it you're like again this is just nonsense actually it, it's not true people don't you know, when I invoice people, I can't send someone an invoice saying uh, for why I've done something. You know, people buy the speech that I've written for them or they buy the training that I've given them or, or whatever, you know. Um, so it's absolute gibberish, but it sounds really profound because of that sentence um, structure. And a lot of people will take it as wisdom. It's like business Buddhism or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's very uh 
important to learn these things because in our world of really short attention span, like you want to be aware that these devices are available to use them to uh, make people stop and listen, yeah. right? To grab their attention. Um, and then you can expand and you can create, I don't know, more complex um points of view and uh, you know you can present more complex facts etc but the uh, learning these devices to grab someone's attention like huh sounds true or right sounds right let me uh listen a little bit more to that uh, to see like what this person has to say um yeah these are very powerful and i'm also like learning to use them uh, for for me the problem is i have all these complex ideas but uh it's difficult for me still to uh, make them concise, make them sound right, make them rhyme, make them balance, right? Um, but um, what I learned through, again, more like painful experiences, unless you do that, it's very hard to get people's attention and um, make them listen to what I have to say. Uh, also, you know, I- journey. This is the journey I think people go through, that you kind of learn um, through through life, you learn how to be intellectual. You learn how to be analytical. If you go to university, this is what you learn to do. You don't learn rhetoric. And then almost after that, you need to learn how. So now you know how to think well, but now you need to know how to communicate well, because communicating thoughts, if thought is complex and we all know, like there's a million different perspectives on any issue, but if you present that full complexity to people, they're just not going to listen. So you need to write, okay, we've done all of that. Now now it's about communicating it. There's a beautiful bit actually in Barack Obama's autobiography mm. where he describes almost this moment of realisation when he was just campaigning in Chicago, that he realised that intellectual arguments just aren't enough on their own, that people turn off. And he was told, he was told by like, I think it was David Axelrod, um, one of his early advisors, like, you know, no, this is not how you connect with people. To get people listening, you've got to connect with their instincts and emotions. And I remember there was just a vague sense in his autobiography that he was a little bit disappointed in this. <laughs> um, but then he, re he realised, and it was like, well, that's how you've got to, connects with people and so you have this great intellectual man very clever man Barack Obama very clever yet he's campaigning with a slogan of yes we can literally <laughs> you could not I don't think there has ever been a more simplistic you know political slogan in history I mean you know it's the well I like Ike actually was pretty <laughs> you know um but 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 he had to do it and he appreciated that it wasn't that just being right, just having the arguments, just being intellectual was not enough on its own. It's about how you package it up as well. Yeah. And I think I really understood that when I started to pay attention to what I pay attention to mm. and what I pay attention to are not complex arguments, at least not at first or complex sentences. Right. I'm also. uh I pay attention to something that rhymes, that is balanced, that connects to my emotions, that connects, you know, tells great stories. I'm like, if it works for me, that's probably the same for other people. Yeah, totally. I mean, it is. It has the effect of like putting your message in neon lights, actually, which, as you can see, the neon light behind yeah. me is, is shining up now. So that's that's the metaphor for the rhetorical yeah. devices. Exactly. And also, I what I remember 
is processing fluency. You know, I remember in your, I think, TED, TEDx uh, talk, I, you know, you compared um, how we package our speech to either, you know, something that makes you feel like you're sipping on Prosecco or something that makes you feel like you're chewing steak, right? Uh, and I also remember that very well, you know, metaphor, uh, et cetera, that, yeah, if you want to, people to absorb some message, what you're saying, you got to make it easy to uh, consume, to digest. Um, otherwise, yeah, yeah. people, yeah. It's and the reason I came up with that metaphor was actually because um, I was in Verona that day and I, I had actually had a glass of Prosecco with my breakfast. I think it's only in Verona where they actually serve up Prosecco <laughs> in, in a breakfast buffet. I'd never seen it before. And I was just like, hey, I'm doing my TEDx talk later. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and, and highly recommended. Start the day with Prosecco. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, life, I think, is the, the best source for a metaphor. It's like what we're going through. Um, and then also it reminds me, if you want to connect to people's um, I don't know, imagery better, doing a lot of, re uh, not a lot, but uh, some research uh, on where they're coming from, like their profession, what they like, you know, their background or environment, that really helps with that to come up with the right kind of images. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, Simon, I'm, I'm looking at my notes and thinking about um, what are some, uh, let's maybe talk about breathing, because <laughs> uh, I believe it's also such a powerful uh, tool to influence people and to change people's state, to change our own state. Uh, can you tell our listeners about like uh, why breathing is important and how they can use it to uh, influence other people and themselves? Yeah, well, I mean, we kind of naturally tune into one another's breathing anyway. So you can use it in all sorts of ways. One thing which is very useful for my clients is in overcoming stress with speeches. So many people get nervous, even like, you know, prime ministers, CEOs, if they don't feel nervous, there's a bit of a problem, actually. And but if it runs out of control, um, there's a great little breathing technique which I use four seven eights breathing which quite a few people use and it's just beautiful and you just so you breathe in through your nose for four and then you hold it for seven and then out slowly through your mouth for mm -hmm. eight and it's just works like magic you can be in a right state you know or just feel like you're not focused properly on your work or whatever and you just do that it only takes you like 30 seconds 40 seconds and you're just like oh you know you can see people's shoulders relax when they do that. So it could be a great, you, you can use your breathing to really calm yourself down. But equally, you can use your breathing to really hype yourself up. If you're feeling like, oh, God, it's just I'm doing the same old thing again. You know, I don't want to be doing this. Then you can hype yourself up, just kind of actively hyperventilate before, you know, like that and get yourself like really, really excited. And some some leaders actually knew, need that. If they've been CEOs for like six, seven years, they might not give as much of a shit as they did when they first started out. And you want to get them pumped up before they go out, before they're speaking to yeah. their to, to their people. And so doing that sort of thing. Funnily enough, I, I remember reading that Judy Garland used to do that mm -hmm. before she went on stage and she'd deliberately get her breathing like in a state in order to excite people. Because mm -hmm. if, if, you're, if you're wanting to excite people, then you, 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 you'd write, for me as a writer, I'll deliberately write these short, breathless sentences. So like, you know, coronavirus, 
conflict in Ukraine, climate mm-hmm. change, and just and it sounds urgent because you're right in it in those super short sentences. So it sounds like you're hyperventilating. And it's so different if you're talking about, well, we know that we've got these tensions in Ukraine at the moment, but these tensions have been going on for a long while now. Mm-hmm. And of course, this has always been a disputed land and there's always been some tension about whether or not in Ukraine they look towards Europe or they look towards Russia and different people feel in different ways but you start there now I'm breathing from deeper down and people aren't going to give a shit whereas if you talk about you know um, buildings reduced to rubble families displaced Mm -hmm. losing the plot like that then so in that way, like, is it, you know, do you want to excite people? Do you want to send people to sleep? Yeah, and I think that's like the next level of mastery, you know, not just being aware of that, but also using it with intention, with purpose. Um, and yeah, I think when you when you can do that, you can really um, command people's minds, you know, win people's minds. Um in my coaching, I always use breathing uh, to change people's state. Like if I see that they're anxious, you know, or uh, just not in the right place for, uh, for example, our coaching, I either, yeah, use uh, four, eight breathing, usually, you know, just uh, focus on the exhale. Or um, if somebody is like, you know, bored or, or sleepy, yeah, we can use hyperventilation. And the same for me, you know, when I'm, about to give public talk, I'm usually super excited. And for me to, <laughs> to be in the perfect state, I need to calm myself down. So I do the uh, 4-8 breathing or 4-7-8 breathing. Uh, and then I'm just in the exact right zone. And I think, you know, knowing like where you are and where you need to go and using breathing is very powerful. Yeah. And also, right, that if you want people to be in a certain state, you can, yeah, use the sentences to a certain structure of sentences to help people to get into the state, either giving them the impression of this hyperventilation or uh, slow belly breathing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, after a while, you you can internalize these techniques. So for anyone who does want to master them, I would recommend literally you just practice i mean i don't know if you i can set out for you know your your viewers a quick six step technique the one that i do in tedx verona and then i my advice is literally practice this every day just once a day for a week and then by the end of that week you're going to be using them instinctively so mm-hmm. you can write a speech using this six step model on any issue if you like what just literally if you want to practice just look at what the top story in the news is on every day and do a speech using this structure so step one three breathless Mm -hmm. sentences broken homes failing schools sink estates sounds urgent like you're hyperventilating step two three repetitive sentences three sentences where you repeat the opening clause is it right that children are failing their exams at school? Is it right that criminals are not even being sent to court, let alone going to prison? Is it right that people are waiting months to see a doctor? Builds energy and passion. Step three, three of those balancing statements. We're working together, not against one another, thinking about what we can do, not what we can't. Look into the future, not the past. Step four, have a metaphor when you describe something as something which it is not. 
Step five, three exaggerative sentences. We're working night and day, giving heart and soul, doing everything that we can to resolve this. And then step six, end with a rhyme, because rhyme is sublime. And that's it. That's six little little structure they're they're the most powerful rhetorical devices and any of your viewers who do want to master this just practice that six step technique mm-hmm. just it, it takes you 15 minutes no more just do it every morning for a week and by the end of that week you are going to be speaking like a leader guaranteed <laughs> well thank you simon for sharing this and um i'm actually repeating this maybe not every day anymore but um at least once a week right the six steps and, and then going through my notes uh, that i uh, put together from your books so uh yeah i i, I think at, at some point i will become a powerful speaker uh working on that right but thank you so much for sharing this six step formula um yeah just practice, 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 like with everything. And yeah, listeners on on, uh, the other side, and you'll become a much more impactful speaker and going to get results uh, that you are aiming for when it comes to communication or teaching, et cetera, or selling something uh, you're passionate about. So Simon, again, thank you so much for uh, being a guest on this podcast and such an entertaining guest, right? I think it comes from your background in um, music and uh, singing. Uh, So thank you so much uh, um, for bringing so much wisdom and so many stories and examples. Is there anything else you'd like to share uh, at the end of this uh, podcast with our listeners? Maybe like uh, last piece of advice or wisdom or inspiration? I think my final advice is, is is really just to remember that everyone you're trying to win over is a human being, just mm. like with a need to belong, just like you, with a need to be admired, just like you, with a need to be loved, just like you. So give people that. If Make them feel they belong, make them feel admired, make them feel part of something bigger. And if you do that, you're meeting some of their deepest needs. And in return, they'll give you all the support you're looking for and more. That's- such an amazing advice, right? We are all humans. Uh, so just uh, yeah, remember that. Uh, great advice. And uh, where can people also connect with you? Like with your work, where would you like them to go? Um, yeah, so um, I'm on LinkedIn, Simon Lancaster, speechwriter. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Bespoke Speeches. My website is www.bespokespeeches.com and you can get all of my books um including the new one um mm-hmm. on amazon and there it's in audiobook as well and on kindle and i read the audiobook as well it took took a long time uh, but it was nice to be able to it's the first time i've ever read one of my books from start to finish because normally when you're writing it you kind of you work on it in a disjointed kind of way but it was lovely to read the whole thing from start to finish so um i would love to hear from some of your viewers so if you've been interested but in any of this then do drop me a message yeah, I encourage our listeners to connect with Simon and to learn from all of his work. And I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. And just, yeah, I, I think uh, parting advice for, from uh, myself is that how we communicate is really important because otherwise we have no chance of um, delivering and uh, what we are trying to communicate to people's mind and actually changing something in people's life. Right? So, um how, yeah, the content is important, but also how you deliver is uh, equally or more important. Brilliant. 
Great stuff. Yeah. It's been great talking with you. That's wonderful advice. Thank you. Thank you so much, Angela. Thank you to you, Simon. Thank you. Brilliant.